You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. You know what would do my heart good right now? Before I jump in, can we just say hallelujah together? Hallelujah. Yeah, that was incredible. So we finished last week with a, this idea of, we've walked through identity. This is who God has made us. This is what we are now. And he's bringing us to this point where I'm gonna take you to, this is who you are, then this is how you should live. But in the middle of that, there's this key section, this prayer where he introduces us to the idea, okay, this is who you are, and then I'm gonna show you how to live. But you gotta remember that you are not able to do that. You can't do it. Unless you are allowing the Holy Spirit to energize the inner man, to strengthen you, to live out of Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? Like, it's this beautiful prayer of like, can you see, I'm gonna start to show you what the much more looks like, the immeasurably more looks like. But don't lose sight of the fact that this isn't some, this isn't another religion, This isn't another, hey, this is what God wants. God up there has these demands, expectations, and you're supposed to follow. And so why don't you grit your teeth, pull up, uh, you know, pull up your, we don't even use bootstraps anymore, right? That's so weird. But, um, you know, you know, bite your lower lip and try harder, do better. The gospel of Jesus Christ is characterized in this word just, Surrender to the person of the Holy Spirit. And him in you begins to infuse your will with strength. Where instead of, can you do it nine out of 10 times, forget that kind of, that kind of, it's like every day, Lord, I just need your spirit leading my life. I know I know human nature wants about six things to do and a checklist and a measurement thing, and I like all that stuff too. But the secret of becoming molded into the image of Christ, putting on the person of Christ, and then living the life of Christ is truly encapsulated in this word, surrender. I've been wrestling with how to talk about that just a tad bit more today. I was thinking about this thing I've experienced as a friend and then also as a pastor. Um, Inevitably, I've had a friend or friends who I graduated with or a, a class ahead of me, a class behind me, or I've pastored teenagers who came to that senior year and they, 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 they walk down the aisle, they receive their diploma, they finish school, and they feel this, this call or this desire to go into uh, the military, 
to serve our country in that way. You guys ever had these people in your life, right? You know what I'm talking about. Fresh-faced, 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids, gung-ho about, I'm gonna go serve my country. You know, they're excited. And they leave. And you don't hear from them for a while, right? You kind of get reports every once in a while, hey, you know, it's always mom. Mom's like, please pray for my son or my daughter. They're in the middle of boot camp. And then all of a sudden they show back up in the fall. They get leave, they, they come home. And you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like you spend a little bit of time with them after they've been through boot camp. Like, whoa. There's something a little different about them, isn't it? A little depth of maturity. A little bit like they've lost that fresh-faced 18-year-old, um, I don't want to say innocence, but like, am I the only one? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it changes you. It really does. You know, they're willing to surrender their lifestyle, even their decision-making. They're willing to surrender themselves to a process. A guy yelling in their ear at 5 a.m. in the morning. That doesn't sound like fun. Get up, get up! Make your bed, you know, you can bounce a quarter off your bed. They, they surrender themselves to this whole process of running, of physical fitness, of mental training. They give away their individual rights. I don't feel like it today. That doesn't cut it, right? I don't think I'm gonna do 50 push-ups, Sergeant. I'm just gonna do 10. That doesn't cut it, right? They give themselves up to the process. But what inevitably happens so often is out of that process, they become much more than what they ever would have been without the process. It's not unlike when we go to college, studying to be a doctor. You can't just walk in and say, I wanna be a doctor. I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna apply for this. You give up yourself to hours of classes, hours of training. You allow your mind to be filled. You, you, instead of, hey, I don't feel like studying today. I'll just wing that test. Right? You get what I'm saying? When you give yourself up and surrender yourself to the process, inevitably the process creates in your life a much more ability. All of a sudden, hey, I can actually do this surgery. And the ask of the Lord is, this is what I have for you. This is who you are in Christ. This is what I want to take you. It's, it's a much more lifestyle. It's much more than you could have ever pulled off in your own strength. It's much more than you were disciplined for. Or, and all these things work, but it's, it's a much more than all that. It's a kingdom lifestyle. It's a Jesus life. We can't pull that off. He's saying, that's where I want to take you if you'll just be willing to let Christ dwell in your heart. That dwell word is if you'll allow him to be the Lord of your life. Amen. And so this is where we're at in the book. 
because now the last three chapters, we get a little bit, we get a lot of how do we live? This is who I am, all these things. This is my identity. What does this look like? You know, I'm a, I'm a parent now, and I've learned as a parent that the because I said so method only goes so far. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? You've all heard it and you've all done it. Because <laughs> I said so. It only works so long, right? Because we inevitably want to know why. Why? I, I want my kids to, to have high character. I want to follow Jesus. I want them to have high character. I want them to have a good work ethic. I want to have a, a, a person that's sensitive to others. All these things. And so it's parenting and it's, it's expectations and it's this whole thing. And the because I said so will never work. I have to explain to them why this works this way and what it will do for their life and how it will all work together and how they'll be blessed. Right? And Paul's like, these last three chapters, I've spent three chapters helping you understand the why. I'm not gonna be a because I said so person. As he unveils, how then should we live? Let's just jump in, right? I'm telling you, there's six sermons here. There's six sermons here. I'm preaching one. I did really good first service, so that gives you hope. And so I'm going to walk through at a brisk clip with a running commentary, the first 12 verses, okay? If you want to talk to me about it later, I'm more than happy to do another one of those sermons, right? But I really want to get to verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. That's where I feel like the Lord wants us to, to live a little bit. But let's set the stage. Let's watch the logical progression as Paul is now beginning to, to help us see how we live with the identity we have. What's amazing is this identity that he's already began to introduce into chapter two is the identity of a Christ follower is led by a we and not a me. Right? The idea of following Jesus is living with an identity that sees myself as way more than just an individual, but as a part of a we. Watch how this works out. Look at verse, chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord. I love this phrase. Paul's in prison, right? He is a Roman prisoner. And he's like, yeah, Rome just thinks I'm a prisoner of them. I'm here because I want to be here. I don't know if he wanted to be here, but he did want to be there because he realized that in what he did with his life and the call God had on his life, he inevitably was in prison. And he's like, listen, they can think they're holding me captive, but I know that I'm here because I'm doing this for the Lord. What a perspective on life. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy this urge word is, it's an intense Greek word and it's to plead with someone. I beg you guys, I beg you in light of who you are, I beg you to see what can happen in your life. I beg you to live into the much more. It's a life worthy of the calling that you have received. P. 
Peter Cesaro says this, according to Jesus, success is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and according to his timetable. Live a life worthy. And then watch this. Because so often, if you say those words in this culture, like, all right, living a life worthy, called to something great. And we start to line up all the things we're going to do, right? I do. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do that. Right? Right? Watch how he introduces the worthy life, the called life. This is how he starts this. Look, verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Are you disappointed yet? Really? I get this call on my life. Be humble. Be patient. This is really going south fast. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Again, our identity is anchored to we, not me. God's call for your life is to be tied to something bigger than yourself. That your greatest work, your greatest purpose, and then your greatest fulfillment and joy will always be in what you do with the we, not the me. And that's where he starts. He asks us to practice sacrificial, other-centered relationships. Or it looks like this, be humble. It's the opposite of proud or selfish. You know the culture we live in? The culture of self-promotion, right? Put your brand out there. Get your name out there. Promote yourself. Our entertainment, our, even our sports world. It's, I shared the story that first, the first service uh, last, last fall, Colby was playing football, first game of the year. You know, I'm there. I'm like, okay, let's see what we got, you know. And he takes a toss. I mean, it was like one of the first plays of the game. He takes a toss, takes it around in, and goes like 60 yards for a touchdown. I'm excited, right? He goes right by me on the sideline. I'm like, you know, yeah, you're a dad. Colby gets into the end zone, and the next minute I know he's turned around and he's going like this. And all of a sudden, as a dad, I'm going, oh. and I even started doing, whose kid is that? Tell them to be cool. He's just seeing, and I love the joy and the celebration, but it was like, hey, uh, we need to have a chat here. I love the fact that you're excited, you scored, you helped your team, but this kind of thing but that's our world around us, right? And yet the call of a Jesus follower is to lead with humility. Our greatest Christian thinkers have always said that the greatest virtue that we take on is humility. It's the first and foremost. And God is very clear that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the things that God hates in Proverbs, guess what is at the top of the list? 
a proud look. You see, to live into the call that God has for all of our life to be a part of a we and not a me, to find purpose and fulfillment in the kingdom and our role in the kingdom, it is calling us to be humble, to lose any sense of self-importance. I love what C.F. Lewis says, to be humble is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. It's not to take a false humility, but it's to say, you know what? Anything that God has given me in talent, in ability, in personality, I recognize it's from him, and I want to give that up for his sake and his glory. Amen? Be humble. Be gentle, not demanding and harsh. Be patient, not impatient and angry. Lord, help us, help me. Bear with, it's beautiful words. It's it's this idea of losing a sense of critical or judgmental nature. It's like bear with people, be patient with people, understand that we all are flaws, we have blind spots, we don't see things, or we all have struggles where sometimes we do volitionally make bad choices. The way to fix that, the way to heal that, the way to move forward from that is not to just pound somebody, but it's to bear with them. Amen? And it's not to remind them Are you married? (laughs) You guys know the inside joke there. Not to remind them what they did. This is this kind of, are you getting the feel of this? Make every effort. It's, It's being engaged with one another, not giving up on one another. Why? Because there is one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. He's saying, The call of our life, the worthy life, is led by this disposition of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with, making every effort to engage. Because this is really about one faith, one Lord. It's, it's, it's the disruption, the dismantling of all our own little kingdoms, and it's a willingness to see the kingdom and to say, I want that more than anything else. Am I making sense to you today? Some of you are on the fence. I love this, like, look at these two words, united and untied. They all have the same letters in them. There's just one difference. What is that difference? Where the I is. And it's such a beautiful picture. United is a willingness to be a part of something, to let my eye be secondary to the eye of what's best, what is God's plan, God's, you know, all that. Untied is what happens when we all try to do our own thing. It's a mess. It's untied. It's chaotic, right? It matters where the eye is. As we continue, it's like, 
But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I love what Peter says to kind of support this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Saying, listen, the call of your life is to lead with a we, not a me, and to actually understand that God is so interested in the we that he has gifted each and every one of you with roles and talents and abilities that if you use them, it will strengthen the we. It will make this a strong, strong thing to be a part of that's life-giving. You know, the world uses talent to possess money, fame, and position. But the Christian uses talent to advance the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's why uh, I love what William James says, the greatest use of a life is to live for something that will outlast it. Are you starting to grab a hold of what he's saying? The life worthy of the calling Like, this is what God has done for you. You're wanted, valuable, connected, all this stuff. You have been totally made into a new person. He does that to then give you purpose and role and meaning and shows you how to live, and it's tied into this idea of the we. And he gives us gifts and talents to use for his glory. I know there's a lot of reasons why we... We don't do things. I mean, think about the scriptures. There could have been tons of excuses. Abraham, well, he was too old, right? Who's gonna use a washed up 100-year-old man? Maybe today you think your time has come and went. I don't know. I think as long as you have breath, God wants to use you. Jacob was terribly insecure, terribly insecure. Joseph was, well, he had about a lot of excuses to give up, to not be used, to lose faith. His circumstances were so challenging. Moses, Moses had his own set of issues. Gideon, I mean, read about these guys. In their conversations with God, they're throwing out reasons why God should not use them. And yet the Lord shows them that he can, and then he does. I mean, David, dysfunctional family, terrible decisions. Elijah, Elijah was suicidal at one point. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah's reluctant. John the Baptist, He's eccentric. Anybody here today want to say I'm the eccentric one? (laughs) The people around you will let you know. (laughs) Some people I know are just like, you know, I'm a little different. I'm wired a little different. I don't think I, yeah, John the Baptist was wired a lot different. And God used him. Doesn't matter. Peter, (laughs) Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha struggled with anxiety. Thomas was full of doubt. Paul, poor health. Timothy was timid. I think the point of scripture in telling 
us their stories that God's gifted all of us and he's gonna use all of us. And that really he, he, doesn't, he doesn't worry about the limitations we might have or think we have. In fact, <laughs> some of those people God used powerfully out of their limitations. Then in three verses, he kind of, it's like this, what? I'm understanding where you're going, Paul. And then he kind of does this detour. He quotes this Old Testament, this Psalm 68. Verse eight says, this is why it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Or when the conquering king, it's Psalm 68 is this idea of a king who goes out and conquers. What does he what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And I'm like, why did you do that, Paul? I was tracking with you for seven verses. And then you throw in these three verses. What are you doing? Basically, the idea is Paul is saying, listen, Christ has apportioned to you everyone gifts riches of Christ. And because of what he did on the cross, because how he triumphed over death and all that that means, he is the conquering hero. You can have confidence in the fact that just as the conquering king came back to his people with all the spoils of war and setting the people captive that had been taken from his kingdom. Like, this is what Christ has for you. He is the conquering king. And because you are his, you get the spoils or the gifts of all that he's accomplished. And out of that, the gifts that he brings to this are this. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, Right? Like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 kind of broadens an understanding of all the different gifts that God gives to all of us to, to help the body. Here in Ephesians, he says, I want you to understand that part of that is God gives you the gift of ministry, people who are called to vocational ministry. That's a gift from God. Did you know I'm a gift from God? Like, you are so weird. <laughs> hey, man, I'm sorry, I'm a gift. Better appreciate the gift of teasing. I'm totally joking. If you know me, you know I'm joking. But really, what this kingdom looks like with apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors, it's the gifts, the spoils of Christ himself winning for us and giving grace to us and he uses people to come alongside us and to teach his word and to show his word and to lead the kingdom, right? And this is a gift from God so that the body of Christ may be built up he, or to equip. Equip is this idea of um, to set Right, It's like setting a broken bone or mending a net that actually these pastors and teachers come along and they set the fractured, broken bones of our life. We all have had those, right? 
the fallen world, our sinful choices have fractured our life. They, they, they've caused dysfunction. And, and it's actually as we give ourselves to the body of Christ and, and there's faithful teachers and preachers of the word in all kinds of formats that we begin to find healing, that we're set right. We're equipped. We're in a place to then be used powerfully by God. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this is what I hope you get above all things. He's saying, listen, the call I have for you to lose yourself for the sake of the we, to find your role and purpose in the kingdom, to, yes, you have vocations, engineer, doctor, lawyer, those things all matter. They provide roles that this world needs and they provide income that our families need, right? But yet overarching all of that is the kingdom purpose that God uses through our vocation, but then also we attach ourselves to in the body of Christ. And he's saying, listen, that all of this is working together and I've given you the gifts of vocational ministry to set you right, to get you healed and, and ready to do powerful works of service. And he said, all of this is working together that the worthy calling, the, high, the life worthy becomes something that as we live into that, we all become mature from it. Can I say it like this? I cannot live into God's plan for my life without you. I can't. When I'm, when I'm accepting the call to come here, when I'm thinking about changing my location and my ministry place, there's one thing that's also in the back of my mind. Am I going to a place where there's people who will help me live into who God wants me to be? That's what this is saying. The life worthy, the call is to together help one another become mature in the faith. Or like this, if you don't get anything else, this is it right here. Take a picture. Not of me, but of the, the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be depends on having the right people in your life. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be depends on having the right people in your life. My life could have taken a whole big different path. It could have. But in following the Lord initially, I surrounded myself with people who love the Lord, who saw life through his perspective, his worldview, who showed me truth, lived it out in front of me, encouraged me, supported me, kept me accountable at times, and my life is far better because of them. This is why community matters. 
This is why we're interested in what we do here to be far bigger than Sunday morning. This is why we see the church as a place where when we live together and encourage, support, strengthen each other, we become the best versions of who we're supposed to be. Amen? Are you with me? Yeah. I'm talking to myself now. I feel it. I can't. I, I just, oh, guys. Like, my life already is a product of the people that I've been around. It really is. Like, they've shown me the way. They've taught me. They've kept me accountable. They've encouraged me. There's been a couple times in my life where I was done. I was quitting. I was gonna do my own thing. And it was strategic conversations, God-ordained, God-led conversations by faithful people who sat me down and encouraged me. So don't give up. God will be faithful. Trust him. And I did. And he was. And they did what this verse is talking about. You see what happens in is as we are there for each other, verse 14 says, then we're no longer infants tossed to and fro by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow into every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we live into each other, what begins to happen is we become mature. Why do we become mature? Because there's doctrinal stability. Did you know there's a lot of wacky ideas out there? Did you know that? Like, I'm tempted every once in a while to believe some of those wacky ideas. Anybody else like me? You're not going to admit that. But you, 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 you hear something and you want to believe it if you're like me sometimes. Or there's a teaching that comes along and it sounds great. And yet, as we live into one another, we keep each other stable doctrinally. We're not tossed to and fro. Like, oh, that sounds great. Let's try this. Well, that doesn't work. Let's try this. Let's just keep jumping from thing to thing. You ever met people like that? Always trying the new thing that, I'm not gonna say the new diet. I just said the new diet. You know, just always like, there's no stability. They're just always like, oh, this is great. This is the new thing. This is the new teaching. This is like, together, the maturity comes when we're together, we bring each other doctrine of stability. Like somebody looks at me and say, Chip, that is crazy and you need to see that. That does not work, right? There's authentic relationships, speaking the truth in love. These are the kind of relationships we desperately want to have. Security in relationships where we know we love each other enough that if one of us is starting to like, you know, lose our way a little bit, someone's saying, hey man, I care for you. I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Willing to say, hey, I think this behavior, this friendship, 
this thing. It's not helpful. That kind of relationship that when they say that, you know that they only have the best interest, your best interest in heart. Those are the kind of people I want to surround myself with. This is what brings maturity to my life and to the church, is when we have a willingness together in love to keep each other accountable. Authentic relationships. He said that it's the whole body joined together. There's full participation. It seems like the last, I don't know how many years, like there's this idea so often that like my part, my part of being the body of Christ, I can kind of, uh, I can be a part-timer. Yeah? Like, if there's something else, I'll do that. I got quiet, I know. You know what I mean? Like, like maturity comes when you like value what goes on in the body of Christ and you give yourself to it. Can you imagine like, um, I coach basketball, I've coached basketball in the past and I can't imagine if my, a couple of my players decided to come to half the practices. What? And then they're looking at you like, why don't you start me coach? Because you came to half the practices. You're not even a part of this team, right? Like you don't know the plays. You're not helping us win because you're in and out so much. I have some of that in my sixth grade team. (laughs) Anyway. You know what I mean? Like to be mature, to live into the calling calls for you and I to be committed to this whole thing, the whole body supported, functioning together. And what that creates is growing love, growing love. Father, I pray. As we walk through this instructional portion of scripture, as we learn how to live, We just bit off a lot of stuff in 30 minutes. And maybe people's heads are spinning. They're trying to process this. Lord, remind us. Give us the courage to to be willing to work with your word, to allow it to speak to us. Help us to see that the life worthy the calling of Jesus Christ is a call for us to practice sacrificial other-centered relationships. It's actually finding ourselves in the we, not in the me. Lord, life, abundant life, is found in being a part of something bigger than our own little world that you made us who we are in Christ, you rescued us and have given us new life for a purpose. And that is to come alongside you in loving our world, in joining together and strengthening one another, in being willing to surround ourselves with a body of believers that 
make us mature, and then out of that maturity, we can serve our world and love our world for your glory. Grow us in this way together. Help us to find our identity in the purposes and plans you have for our life. Don't let us be fooled, tricked into thinking that success or fulfillment comes in our own personal accomplishments. It's always in where we serve you. Teach us, Lord. Help us to see it, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.